This is Growth Decoded to Go, a podcast from a show that helps you grow your business by figuring out the customer experience, one piece at a time. Now, what does a podcast of a show mean? Well, it means that we put out a live audio-visual show, and then we turn the audio into, well, this podcast that you're listening to right now. We do this to share our findings with you, wherever you are. Because this podcast is only the audio portion of the show, there might be some references to visuals. But don't fret, because we've included links to the video version of the show in the podcast description. All right, let's get into it. Hello there, Internet. We meet again. Welcome back to Growth Decoded, a show that investigates different aspects of the customer experience and how they contribute to business growth. I'm your host, Ernie Santorelli. Welcome to episode five. Today, we're going to talk about landing pages, you know, what they are, how they work, and how you can make yours work better. But first, a Plantasia update. Now, if you've seen this show before, you know that we're growing a plant, this plant, to be exact, Plantasia. In the first episode, a few short months ago, Plantasia was just a sprout, a real live visual representation of the potential for us to grow together, both our knowledge of these topics as well as the overall growth of your business. Now, it's clear to see that Plantasia is absolutely thriving today, and so are we. So let's get into this thing. Let's make it happen. Let's start with the basics here. What is a landing page? A landing page is a standalone web page created about a specific topic to acquire a lead's contact information through opt-in forms or gated content. What is the purpose of a landing page? Well, landing pages are designed to funnel traffic towards a specific action. They're called landing pages because marketers typically send traffic to them from other online destinations, like a Facebook ad, and then the visitor lands on the page. Landing pages are often optimized for conversions. So this means they have prominent opt-in forms and they lack the typical website navigation. Uh, This is because you ultimately want there to only be about two options, convert or close the window. Traditional website navigation provides visitors with numerous other avenues that they can use to navigate away from the page without converting. So what are some other differences between a landing page and a website? Well, websites are built for exploration. They're built to allow visitors to discover new resources and answers to questions they might have. Landing pages, however, are built for visitors to only be able to take one specific action, and that's the conversion. So with a landing page, you can add subscribers to an email newsletter, promote your online course, sell a physical product, give a discount code or a coupon, boost attendance for a webinar, encourage a free trial, uh, or give away a consultation or a demo. Landing pages have a few distinct features, so let's do a quick crash course uh, anatomy lesson here. Landing pages generally have six main features. They've got the headline, features and benefits, social proof, visuals, colors, and a call to action. A headline tells your visitors what's going on. Now, what is this about? What's the offer? What's the deal? Why should I care? Features and benefits elaborate on the headline. They tell visitors uh, a little more about the bold claim you just made in the headline. You know, what are they going to get from this thing if they convert? What can they expect? What is this thing going to do for them? Social proof is a powerful tool that helps people know that others have been here before, right? It worked out for them. Reviews, feedback, ratings, testimonials, things like that. General praise from other people who have ventured into this offer and they've emerged on the other side in the near future with the benefits from the features that you talked about earlier. Nice. Visuals could be product images. They could be happy people. Maybe some landscapes that that give off a positive vibe. Pictures of the thing or people using the thing or general images that help visitors picture how the thing is going to help them or make them feel or benefit them. Colors 
Roji Biv, right? You could have a black and white landing page, I guess, but why not add some color? And then finally, the CTA, or the call to action. Now this is the, the form, the shiny button, usually in a cool color, hey. Underneath the form uh, that they're gonna click on when they filled out the form with their name, their email, whatever else you're asking for. This is the whole point of the landing page. This is the thing that all the other things are leading up to. Okay, crash course over. We're gonna go more in depth into those as the show goes on, but just wanted to establish a good baseline here now. Okay, so you've got these six things on a page to make someone do something. Now what? How do landing pages work? We're gonna answer this question in two ways. First, what do you need to build a landing page? And second, how do you make your landing pages successful? So let's look at that first question. The process of creating a landing page looks a little something like this. One, you create a landing page using a landing page builder like ActiveCampaign or Unbounce. Two, you'll link your landing page to your website or embed a form on your landing page. Uh, and then three, you'll link your offer to that page so that visitors receive the offer after converting and then you receive their contact information. So once you have a landing page, the ideal visitor takes these steps to become a lead or a customer. One, visitor lands on your landing page. Two, visitor follows the call to action by filling out a form. Three, visitor receives offer and you receive the visitor's contact information. Now a key idea here for landing pages is to reduce friction. Landing page friction is anything that makes it harder for your visitors to take action on your CTA. Landing pages help you convert more, uh, sorry, convert more visitors into leads and customers because they reduce conversion friction and they give people fewer actions to take. Landing pages that remove website navigation, they have a single call to action. They include images and videos. They have great landing page copy. All of these things can help you improve your conversion rates. So after a visitor fills out a landing page, you send them the ebook, the guide, checklist, the product, the email, consultation, whatever the offer is that you promised them. The best way to do this is with a marketing automation tool. <clears throat> now you may have heard the term autoresponder before. An autoresponder is a message that is automatically sent after somebody subscribes to an email list or takes some other action that warrants an email. So in this case, you'd use an automated email as an autoresponder to thank someone for filling out the form on your landing page. You'd then deliver the piece of content that they're redeeming or send them that login code or whatever it is that you have to do to hold up your end of the bargain. An autoresponder is typically a single message, but modern email marketing platforms can create more advanced autoresponders that send multiple triggered messages. So when a contact submits a form or registers for an event or signs up for your newsletter, you could send them an email right away, sending them a, a calendar invite in that email or, or a download or the piece of gated content, whatever it is. Just make sure that you meet their expectations because good customer experiences meet or exceed expectations. On the other hand, bad customer experiences, well, those miss the mark. So if you send your contacts down landing page avenue on a conversion path to nowhere, it's not a good experience. Negative customer experiences lead to unhappy customers and they will stop doing business with you. Now, Zendesk found that over 80% of consumers have stopped doing business with a brand because of a single negative experience. And not only that, but 86% of customers are willing to pay more for a good experience. So don't let a landing page conversion, which is something that should be a positive experience for them and a potential customer for you, don't let that be the reason why a customer doesn't want to do business with you. That would be a massive missed opportunity. First things first, give them what you said you would. But how do you do this? How do you actually set up automation to make this work? 
You know, someone in the active campaign community asked a question that was just like this recently. And Molly, the active campaign community manager, and Tim, active campaign's customer evangelist, took it into their own hands to answer this question in this week's installment of our customer evangelist Tim and community manager Molly answer questions from the active campaign community. Close your eyes for a moment. Imagine there's a way for you to both provide your visitors with the content they want and have them become engaged leads that are more likely to convert. And you can automate the whole process. Okay, open your eyes. We're going to explore how very real this is and exactly how to do it. You didn't close your eyes, did you? Mm -mm. Not even a little bit. No, 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 not for me. Uh -uh. Hi, I'm Tim from Active Campaign. And I'm Molly from Active Campaign. We have a question from our community that, that we're, we're going, going to answer. answer. Today we have a question that asks, how do you set up a name and email capture that then triggers a download of a PDF white paper or guide? What a great question. The answer to this question centers around two words, gated content. With gated content, your leads get the content they want, you get engaged leads that are more likely to convert, and to top it all off, this can all be fully automated. Gated content is content that can't be accessed until the visitor submits their contact information. This technique works with any type of content, but the best gated content is information that can't be found anywhere else. Things like case studies, white papers, webinars, or eBooks. The goal is to provide what your visitors want and find useful. This is why gated content is such an effective lead generation technique for many types of businesses. Leads are more likely to convert when you offer them relevant content in exchange for their contact information, rather than just asking for their contact information. Let's explore how we can automate this process. Landing pages are a great place to deliver gated content to your visitors. It all starts when a visitor fills out a form on your landing page. The most basic information to capture here is your visitor's name and email address. That way you know who they are and how to contact them. After they fill out your form, send them an email with a link to the content that you've promised them. If you have a sales team, you can then assign a deal to one of your sales representatives. You can also assign the rep a task to call the lead and then send them an email notifying them of their new lead. The entire premise of gated content centers around the visitor filling out your form. If they don't fill out the form, they don't get the content they need and you don't get a new lead. So how do we increase the chances of a visitor filling out the form? By reducing friction. Let's talk about four effective ways to reduce friction in forms. First, create a single column form. Studies show that we fill out single column forms 15.4 seconds faster than multi-column forms. The faster someone fills out your form, the more likely they are to submit it. Second, use negative space around your form. This makes your form easier to read, which in turn helps your visitor fill it out more quickly. Third, ditch the dropdowns. Questions on a form that use dropdown options slow people down. People are more likely to leave without submitting your form if things are taking too long. Instead of dropdowns, use radio buttons to keep your visitors moving along. Radio buttons allow your visitor to choose one option, just like a dropdown, but they can see all the options at once, so they don't have to spend extra time clicking through a dropdown. Lastly, use less fields. 
visitors are able to move more quickly through the form and feel less overwhelmed if there's fewer fields to fill out. A good rule of thumb is to ask yourself, will a visitor question why we need this information? If it's not obviously relevant, you're better off not asking for it. All right, there we have it. We had a question from our community that we were going to answer, and, and we, we did. did. Perfect. Deliver that piece of gated content, or send that reminder, book that call, hold up your end of the deal. But you could take it further than that. When a contact converts on your landing page, oftentimes it's a key action, and it indicates intent. So depending on what you're offering, the intent is gonna be different. But this is generally a key moment when a, a common website visitor becomes an interested lead. And sometimes these are referred to as MQLs, or a marketing qualified lead. Now, MQLs are leads who have indicated interest in what a brand has to offer based on marketing efforts. In this case, your landing page and whatever got them to it. So these leads are otherwise more likely to become a customer than other contacts are. But what do you do with them? Well, if you're in business, you're probably gonna wanna follow up and investigate further to turn this newfound lead into a new customer. And you can do this with landing page automation. Now, landing page automation is the process of setting up a landing page so that when a visitor completes your landing page form, their information is automatically sent to your CRM, your email automation platform, or both. And once your CRM or marketing automation platform receives the information, the platform triggers a new action, like a, a chain of dominoes falling. The automation trigger is, submits a form, but the resulting action will depend on what your marketing strategy, your offer, or your, your campaign should have it do. Landing page automation gets rid of manual tasks, like uh, contact and data entry, sending individual emails, delivering landing page offers one contact at a time, putting contacts in specific workflows, or segmenting contacts by tagging them one by one. I mean, all these things take time, and if you automate them, you'll have more time to focus on other areas of your business. And you don't have to worry about making any errors. The contacts you've just converted into leads are more likely to move forward with you than contacts who have been on your list for a while. Take advantage of that sign-up momentum. Keep the conversation going. And if you're wondering how you can automate that, well, just hang in there for a little while. We'll show you. So to conclude this first question on how landing pages work, you, you need a couple of things. You need a website. You need an offer, something that uh, your site visitors can get when they convert. You'll need a, a landing page builder. Now, this could be through your website or a landing page tool like Unbounce or ActiveCampaign or a plugin from your website like WordPress or Squarespace or something like that. You need some way to link your landing page to your website. And then you need a link that connects your offer to the page so that visitors receive the offer after converting and you receive their contact information. Now, you get bonus points if you have an automation platform, CRM, or both. <coughs> that you can use to build further communications and turn that lead into a customer. Okay, here's the deal. You've got an offer, you've got a landing page. This thing is just gonna work, right? I mean, maybe, but probably not too well. Why? Well, because you have to set it up to convert. You have to optimize it, organize it, design it, and present it in a way that makes it easier for your visitors to convert. So it turns out, you all have access to something that touches every single piece of your business content. You, you have access to something that exists everywhere that a person can interact with or learn about your business online. This thing can make or break your ads, your emails, your landing pages. And the best part about it is that you can improve it for free. What is it? It's your words. 
Your words can be the difference between someone arriving on your landing page and converting with a smile on their face because they finally found the solution to the problems, this thing that they've been searching for. Now that same someone can arrive on your landing page with the same offer, but if it's worded poorly, they're just gonna leave because they never got it. So let's take a look at that second question. How do you make your landing pages successful? Now to get some answers to this, I sat down with Joel Kletke. He's a conversion rate optimization consultant. He's a renowned expert in the world of conversion copywriting. He's one of the best, and he's gonna help us figure this out. Yes, and now I am, uh, I'm joined by Joel Kletke. Uh, he's a conversion copywriter, CRO consultant at Business Casual Copywriting, the founder of Case Study Buddy, uh, and generally just a, a renowned copywriting specialist. Joel, welcome to Growth Decoded. Thank you very much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, so, so far in this episode, we've covered, you know, what you would need to build a landing page, um, how to build one, why you would use one, the, the general mechanics of how they work. And uh, what I really like to talk about is just how you can make your landing page successful, right? What can you do to help your landing page convert more visitors? Uh, so I guess the first question I'd like to ask you is, uh, what is the most important part of a landing page when it comes to, to driving conversions? How do you, how do you get that right? Yeah, I think the tricky thing is if you think about, and Jonah Weeb, uh, who's copy hackers, uses this analogy quite a lot. You have to think about your landing page as kind of a conveyor belt, right? And if you ask, well, what's the most important part of a conveyor belt? Well, if any part of that belt breaks, the end goal is not going to be achieved. So, really, uh, people want to have a cut and dry, like, oh, the headline's most important, or the call to action is most important. But the reality is, it's all really important. It's all really critical. I think kind of the counterintuitive or maybe the, the less obvious answer, because that sounds like I'm just dug in and saying, it's all, it's all equal. Um, but, but the most critical thing is the customer research you've done to inform that page, mm -hmm. right? As long as you understand not only your offer, but why it matters to a particular audience and how much that particular audience already knows by the time they arrive and how much they need to know in order to take action. That's the critical piece. The, the page itself is just a manifestation of understanding. It's kind of like building with Lego blocks, right? Like Eugene, great copy is never written, it's assembled. Mm. And that holds true. So as long as you've got the right kind of Lego blocks in your container to build the page with, you'll be in a good place. But if you've got the wrong stuff from the outset, it's not gonna matter whether your headline is amazing or your call to action is good or your bullets or whatever it might be. So, you know, there's not just one part that's critical, but it's everything that kind of precedes it and underpins it that's really gonna impact whether or not that page even has a hope of being effective in the first place. Okay, I, I love that. Um, yeah, all about understanding the audience, the customer, the problem that you're solving and, and their needs. Um, that definitely makes sense. So, so I guess when you are assembling those Lego blocks, um, you know, as far as your, your words or your copy, how important is it, you know, the way that you word things, how important is that copywriting? You know, once you, if you have all the pieces, you know, how do you assemble them in a way that that works? What, how important is that? Yeah, super critical. I think one of the, the key things that you want to do as part of that customer research and as part of all that prep work is understanding how do the people you're trying to reach communicate? Um, let's say, you know, if we pull some, some random examples, like let's say that you are a, a personal coach. Okay. Uh, let, let's say a personal trainer, like fitness, right? That the way you word things should be very different. If, if you're selling to like, let's say the like under, you know, under 25 CrossFit crowd, mm -hmm. and they're looking for something aggressive, intense, get shredded, all that stuff really matters to them because their motivation for working with you 
might be different, but let's say you're that same personal trainer and now you're selling to grandparents and their goals and motivations are more, you know, I want to have a balanced lifestyle. I want to keep up with my grandkids. I want to, you know, be strong well into my, my later years. Well, if you're coming at them with really aggressive language and get shredded, all that stuff, that's going to land on, on deaf ears because that's not what motivates them. That's not how they talk about their problems. And so what's really critical when you approach the copywriting piece of a landing page is to understand what are the pain points, the desired outcomes, the anxieties of your audience? And not only that, but how do they talk about them? How do they talk about these things? What language did they use to describe it, right? What do they prioritize and emphasize? So it's really, really important from a voice and tone standpoint that, yes, you want to be coming off as, yes, this is our brand, but what you say specifically matters because the same offer position two different ways will land perfectly with one audience and be totally like totally wrong for another. I think the other thing that's really critical is not just what you say and how you say it in terms of voice and tone, but I kind of alluded to this earlier, right? How much does your audience know? How sophisticated are they, right? Let's say that I'm selling a, a cloud security solution. Okay. If my buyer is the engineer or the developer, someone very technical, I can speak that language all day long. I can get right into the weeds. If I know that they're at the point in their journey where they're evaluating a lot of options, I can really focus on differentiating, like here's what sets us apart. But let's say I'm selling, you know, I need to convince the CEO. Well, the CEO is thinking, what's the cost benefit? You know, how fast can we implement this? They have a different set of priorities, a different set of concerns. Mm -hmm. And so you can't just jump in with the technical jargon and hope that they you know, navigate their way through it. You need to frame things up. You might need to start at an earlier point to fill in the gaps for them. You might need to explain why a particular technology is important in the first place or advantageous. Whereas with the engineer, it's like, no, let's just jump straight to this. So what you say, how you say it, and how aware the audience, how sophisticated the audience is, it really, really matters because you can have the pain points, the outcomes, all that stuff right. But if I start selling at a point that you're not ready for, or if I start wasting your time with a bunch of information you already know, I, I lose potentially the chance to convert because you're starting to think, well, this is not really for me. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that comes down to a lot of something that we're kind of uncovering here is that um, mismanaged expectations or not matching the expectation of your audience is, is super critical. And, and it kind of sounds like that's uh, your words have a, a big part to play in that kind of uh, that conversation or that management. So making your landing page successful and writing it in a way that really resonates with your audience starts with your audience. Who are they? How do they think about the problems that your offer solves? How do they talk about those problems? How much do they already know about the problem? You're going to have to meet them where they are. Talk to them in a way that uses their own words. This is called voice of customer. And if you can do it well, it's going to go a long way towards helping your customers convert on your landing page. But how do you do it? Do you just guess? I mean, how do you find out how they're actually talking about it so that you know which words to use? Joel. You said a lot of great stuff there, and I kind of want to break that down and revisit the, the tone and the words that your audience is using. In, in your 
in your experience or, or just, you know, if, if someone is looking for that, they don't really know, maybe they're just getting started. How do they, how do they find those words? How do they find that tone? How do they understand, you know, exactly the way their desired audience or their target audience is talking about these things? Yeah. I mean, the great thing is there's no excuse for, for being in the dark because this is readily available to all of us and you don't have to go pay thousands of dollars to a market research firm to put together a thousand page report. I mean, you can certainly do that and there's value for a certain audience in doing that, but there's lots of stuff that's readily accessible. I mean, the first place you, you can go and look is look at your own reviews and testimonials, right? Mm -hmm. What are people talking about? How are they talking about it? What are they emphasizing? Go look at your competitors' reviews and testimonials and, okay, look at the positive ones. What do people really like about them? Again, what sort of language? Who are these people reviewing? Then look at the negative ones, right? What, what don't people like about mm -hmm. competing solutions? And can you subtly position against that? If you realize, for example, that ease of use is a concern, let's say you're a software platform and you see everybody's complaining, oh, the software is super powerful, but it's really hard to use. It takes months to get up to speed and your solution genuinely is simple and easier to use. Now you've got a place to start kind of framing not only like the voice and tone, but your argument. You can also go to places that conversations happen naturally. That can be anywhere from your own inbox, your own chat logs if you run chat to see, okay, again, what's the language? What's the cadence? What are people asking? You can talk to your sales team and say, hey, uh, can I get some transcripts maybe of your calls or can I sit in and shadow you on a call and, and listen to those conversations? So that's another place that, that you can go Go and look, uh, but you can also go and look places like Reddit or forums or where, you know, where do people discuss your solution online or parallel solutions, right? Let's say that you're a personal trainer and you're, for whatever reason, you're having a hard time finding conversations about personal trainers. Well, if you go to Amazon and you go find books that are about, you know, self-help in terms of like fitness and whatever, and you go read reviews for those, okay, these are the same people trying to solve the problem maybe a different way. So that could be a launching off point too. So even if you have no customers yet, you've got competitors, people are solving this problem somehow, go to the places those conversations are happening and listen and document and look for themes and priorities and, and that sort of thing. Aha. So you've got to become a bit of a detective if you really want to talk to your target audience in a way that they not only understand, but in a way that they themselves talk. You can do this in a number of ways. Customer reviews, feedback, hopping on the phone with your customers and asking them, reading reviews from your competitors, reading Amazon reviews of similar products. The list goes on. But one question remains. Using the words that they use as a start, but what are those words saying? Are they just telling them things that they already know? Is your copy going to be way over their heads? How do you figure out the right level of awareness that your potential customers have so that you can talk to them in a way that they understand, but also in a way that tells them the things that they need to know without telling them things that they already know or skipping ahead a few steps. So then moving into sort of, you know, how educated is your audience? How educated are the people or, or what are their expectations um, of, the, of the audience that's looking at your landing page? Um, how do you kind of narrow that down? Uh, are there any rules of thumb or, or best practices in terms of figuring out, you know, exactly who it is and, and how aware or what, what level of uh, information you should convey? Yeah, I think for those listening to when we talk about education, we're not talking about like college education or like university, like we're talking about awareness, how much do they already know, how much do they understand their own problem. And to some degree, some of that is intuitive, depending on the strategy you're targeting, like, let's say that you are launching a landing page, and you're targeting phrases around, let's say, I don't know, best hockey stick, okay, implicit 
in that phrase is uh, this is a dumb example, but it's just going to help us illustrate that person knows what a hockey stick is. Like they're not Googling, like, how do I shoot a puck? You know, they're not Googling, you know, like, so implicit in that phrase is it's a comparison type of phrase. We can infer from the point of entry that they're looking for the best solution, that this is someone who is comparing options. They know enough to know what their problem is. They know enough to know that there are solutions to that problem. And now they're actively looking at different solutions. Let's say by contrast, you know, you're going after a market that all they know is that they have a problem. You're going after kind of this untapped market, right? So let's say you're a financial planner. And so here, maybe you're, you're, you're having people come in off of a phrase um, like, where should I invest or how much should I invest? These people are probably way down on the awareness and sophistication stage. So if you jump in talking about ETFs and all da, 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 and all the language and acronyms and jargon, they're not going to be caught up with you. So sometimes the sophistication is implicit in the way that they get there, whether that's looking at the keywords they arrive from, looking at the ads that will drive people in, uh, looking at their actual behavior and where in the funnel the content sits. So again, let's say you're doing a remarketing campaign. Implicit in that is that they know enough because they've come in at least one time. They're somewhat educated on your product or, or your brand awareness. Or, you know, again, if you're if you're targeting people, say via email, and they're already signed up for your list, um, you know, and, and they've been a subscriber for a long time, you, you might look at how long ago they subscribed, how familiar they are with your content. You might look at, you know, again, what lead magnet brought them in to subscribe. That can be an indication of awareness. Did they get like? A my first homeowners checklist if you're a realtor or did they get your like guide to flipping and selling you know mm. you you can try to look at sort of the starting point of where these people are coming from and that will be an indication of how much they probably know the other thing you know the most direct line whether you're a big company or a small company is talk to sales and ask them like who are you talking to what questions do they have who do they need to convince within their organization? And I'll at least give you a window into of those people contacting you, where, where do they fall along this spectrum, right? How, how much do they know? What gaps is sales still having to close? And that helps not only identify places that your copy on your landing page or website could be working harder, but also gives you a sense of, again, what's the general knowledge level of people coming in. So a lot of different places you can go for that. When in doubt, I think it's a matter of just start with the common sense answer, which is, okay, if we're running an ad campaign, and we're talking these types of phrases, how much do we think people know? And then watch behavior, watch how that happens. And you can kind of adjust from, from there to see. Importantly, copywriting and landing pages, it's always a moving target. You're never done. Like unless you're converting at 100%, there's always something that could be stronger or better or what have you. So it's important that you kind of take each copy, you know, each piece of copy, each landing page that you launch as a learning opportunity and a structured learning opportunity so that the next one, you're not just guessing all over again, well, that didn't work, oh, let's try something new. You wanna be intentional about what you're deploying and then intentional about finding out why it is or is not working. Mm. Yes, I love that. The idea that it's a moving target and it's never just done. Um, I feel like there's a there's a big desire to kind of just set it and forget it, right? Like I've written this landing page, I put it out there, this is it forever. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Know your customer. Know your customer. Know your customer. 
Got it. Okay, so we've got a landing page. We know that you need to use their words. You need to make sure that it corresponds to their level of awareness or education about the issue. We know that you want to reduce friction by removing the site navigation, by asking less questions, using the negative space, and getting right to the point. But it seems like there's so much that you can put on a landing page. How much is too much? How do you narrow it down? Is there a rule or something that you can follow to help you out? Yes, there is a rule. Wait, whoa. What? Who is that? The rule of one. Oh, yeah, the rule of what? But wait, the rule of one, okay, got it. But who are you? What is this? What's this, going on? This is your conscience. Wait, really? This is my conscience? Yes. No, not really. But tell the people about the rule of one, Ernie. Okay, I'll tell them about the rule of one, but who is this? Gotta go. Bye-bye. Wait, what? Hello? Hello? Okay. Um, that was... That was weird. But the rule of one. The rule of one is a framework that helps you create powerful, high-converting copy. It states that your copywriting should target one reader, present one big idea, make one promise, and offer one offer. But how does this teach you how to write a landing page? Well, instead of scrambling to figure out what you need to put on a page and asking yourself, you know, what should my headline be? Where should I put my CTA? Which features should I highlight? The rule of one helps you know exactly what to say. So here's how each piece of the rule of one tells you what to write from, from bottom to top. Start with one offer. What are you offering your reader? What can you give them? Look at the one promise. How does your offer actually change your reader for the better? What's the big idea here? How do you hook someone? What makes them want to read this page? And then your one reader, who, who are you talking to? What do they care about? So if you work backwards from your one offer, each bit of your landing page design and copywriting falls into place. Now, there's one piece that we're going to want to talk through before we get into this, and that's to make sure that your campaign has a dedicated landing page. Don't create one landing page and then direct all your traffic from all of your campaigns to that. Why? Well, it makes for a bad experience. You have to match the message. For example, if you're running an ad on Facebook for your offer, let's say you have a, a store that sells pet training courses. If you run a Facebook ad highlighting a sale on your dog training course and then someone clicks through to your landing page and it's talking about how you can train your bird to sing Bohemian Rhapsody, but also how you can train your cat to play the piano and use the toilet, but not at the same time, of course. And then somewhere near the bottom, you've got your dog training course sale. They're probably not even going to make it that far. They're going to click through, see that the web page is, is nothing like what they thought, and they're going to go back to Facebook to see what their high school classmates are doing now. Congratulations, potential customers avoid it. So make sure that your campaign, make sure that your offer, make sure it has a dedicated landing page. Okay, now let's get into it. First, one offer. It's tempting to put multiple offers on your landing page, but that's gonna tank your conversion rate. Try it, compare the results in Google Analytics if you need proof. Why? Well, Hicks Law. This law states that it takes people longer to make a decision if they have more options to choose from. And the longer it takes to make a decision, the more likely people are to give up. If your landing page has more than one offer, readers will get distracted. They're less likely to convert. They, they won't choose, they'll just leave. Uh, think about this. Have you ever asked your family where they want to go out to eat for dinner? They start weighing all the options. Uh-oh. What do you have a taste for? Well, I don't know. What do you have a taste for? Well, I'm good with whatever. Me too. Well, what does everyone else want? I'll tell you what everyone else wants, Dad. Everyone else wants someone to make a decision. But nobody does. And time passes. Stomachs growl. Tensions mount. And eventually, painfully, a decision gets made that's usually the same place that you always go. And nobody's happy. 
Okay, in 2013, as reported by Marketing Sherpa, Whirlpool launched an email marketing campaign with four calls to action related to their new Ice Kitchen collection. This Whirlpool email makes four offers at once. How do you decide which one is important? The four different CTAs in the Whirlpool email sent people to four different places. That See Details CTA button directed consumers to the rebate download landing page. The other three CTA buttons pushed to landing pages detailing the Ice Kitchen Collection appliances special features. To focus the email on the primary goal, to get people to the rebate landing page, Whirlpool updated the email to include only one CTA. The results? Their email click-through rate increased by 42%. Make one offer. Next, one promise. What's going to happen to people if they accept your offer? The promise of your landing page is your value proposition. It shows people how their lives are going to change for the better if they buy what you're selling. Making your one promise is what helps people understand why they should accept your offer. You can think of a great promise as the difference between uh, what this is and what you get. Business Suites is an office space provider out of Austin, Texas. And uh, although website conversions were their biggest sales driver, their landing page conversion rates were pretty low. So look here on the left. Where's the value? What kind of space is this? What do we get? This page leaves questions unanswered. The promise on this page isn't a promise at all. It's a chore. There are no results, no differentiators, no reasons to convert. Now, Business Suites revamped the landing page with an emphasis on their value proposition. Here you can see on the right. Once the, landing, or I'm sorry, once the language changed from what this is to what you'll get, conversions increased by 88%. Business Suites also then saw a 45% decrease in cost per action. Now, this page does list a lot of features. There's nine of them. But it promises a professional office that's ready to move into right away. Business Suites got more leads for less money by focusing on what the customer gets and not what the company does. The more specific and easily understandable your promise, the more likely you are to get conversions. Have you ever seen an RX bar? Check this out. RX bar burst into the protein bar market by including an incredible promise on their product packaging. It's their ingredients list. Now, most protein bars are filled with sugar, or they have a long list of hard to pronounce ingredients. But making the promise of a simple bar with healthy ingredients, RX bar is able to get people to accept their offer, which is buy this protein bar. Okay, one big idea. High converting landing pages tell a cohesive story. A big idea is what connects all of the pieces of your landing page. If someone asks, what is this landing page about? The answer is your one big idea. A good landing page connects notable features into a single theme instead of just listing every possible thing. Because if you list a bunch of disconnected features, people have to keep track of all of those things in their head. It, it's like this. Memorize these digits. I'll give you 10 seconds. OK. Did you get them? Probably not. Unfortunately, people don't have unlimited memories. They can only hold a, a few things in their heads at one time. So this is what it's like to look at a landing page without a big idea. But you can help them out if you unite all of these disconnected features under one theme. Look at the numbers now. When you recognize that they're all significant years, it becomes a lot easier to memorize, to recognize, to understand what we're trying to accomplish here. Now, Joel and I talked about finding a big idea as well. So let's hear what he has to say. 
you said something interesting there about having like the one big idea, you know, there might be a lot of benefits, but how do you kind of encapsulate that into one idea? Do you have any strategies or, or ways that you kind of think about that to arrive at that big idea, as opposed to just kind of a bunch of smaller ideas? I think it's a matter of talking to customers and finding out what's the difference between a nice to have and a mission critical. And so coming at it from the software world, for example, mission critical, if nobody adopts this thing and it's not easy to use, it doesn't really, in a lot of cases, matter how powerful it is if, if you can't get adoption internally. Now, a nice to have in that case might be, hey, we have an academy of resources to teach you how to use it, right? Like the two, you can mention the academy as a complimentary argument to, hey, it's easy to use. Plus we've got this huge library of training material. But you wouldn't want to, in the hero section, say the easiest to use software with a massive academy of learning. So like you're just sending people can't possibly care about all things equally. Right. Um, And so it's like one big idea allows you also to you want to own mental real estate in somebody's head. You, You want to paint a picture that solves a very particular problem. And then these other benefits are ways that they're things they're happy to get, but also ways they rationalize purchase where it's like, I got this main itch scratch, but also these other ones, you know, and these kind of side benefits. So I think it's about talking to customers and seeing what they prioritize. And you also get a kind of a good hierarchy of that. When you look at places like reviews, like testimonials, like talking to to the sales team, what comes up all the time, what's the itchiest itch that we scratch? What's the, the most challenging problem that we solve for people? That's the, the big idea. That's, that's the thing you want to lead with. And it's not that we ignore all other benefits. It's just we don't try to give them all equal footing. Um, a pr- pretty good example of this is like I was working on a CRM and um, their big push was it's free, it's free, it's free, it's free. That's great. That got a foot in the door, I guess. It's, it's a, it was a big idea that worked. Um, but when you actually talk to customers, ease of use and adoption was a higher priority. Even something that's free is worthless if nobody's going to use it. So finding an angle, an idea, a big thing to anchor in at least helps people kind of reconcile what you are and why they need you. And then these other pieces help them feel good about that purchases and all the other ways that you solve, you know, other adjacent problems or all the other benefits they get because that big itch is scratched. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, the, the big focus of, of this show, you know, is investigating a certain topic and trying to figure out how it improves the customer experience, which, you know, then leads to growth. And the fact that you keep returning to, you know, listen to the customers, listen to sales, what do the customers want? And then matching those expectations and providing that experience. Um, it's just kind of great to see like that direct relationship and that tie from landing pages, how you can use landing pages to do that. All right. And finally, one reader. We've discussed the importance of knowing your audience, using their words, meeting them where they are, right? That's your one reader, the person with these pain points, with these problems, the person who talks about the problems in this way and needs to know these things. You can't write a landing page for everyone. You can't really write anything for everyone. If you try to do that, you'll end up writing for no one because it won't be relevant or important to everyone. And that's why you write to one reader. But here's the kicker. When you write to one person, you actually have to write the page as if it were for one person. Use the word you. Talk right to your one reader. You is the most powerful word in copywriting. It stands out. It makes the whole thing about your audience. And at the end of the day, they're the ones that matter. 
So if you reword your landing page copy to focus on you and your, and you remove instances of I or we or our, that's a quick copywriting win. It has an immediate impact on your landing page, your web page, or anywhere else potential customers might encounter your words. Okay, so there you have it, the rule of one. But that's just your words, right? What about the design of this thing? How do you make it look? Do you use images? If so, how many? Of what? What colors do you use? I've heard that orange CTA buttons convert the best. People love orange. Have you heard that? You should use that, right? Orange. But what if that's not your brand color? How important is that, really? Maybe Joel knows. Hey, Joel. So I want to shift gears a little bit here and kind of focus on maybe design elements, we'll say. Um, you know, there's a lot of claims out there that certain colors perform better or, you know, um, certain images in certain locations might perform better. What, what are your thoughts on like the importance of, we'll, we'll start with color. Does, does color have an, an impact? And, and if so, to what extent? Yeah, it can be huge. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest misconception that I come up against fairly often is people think CRO is essentially like, we made the button orange and bigger and ta-da. Like they, they think it's like, essentially just like board designers being like, make it a different color, make it bigger. Those things can definitely, they can play a huge role. Um, you can see in e-commerce, there's lots of different things that, you know, we made the button bigger, we moved it around, or, you know, we know, for example, like images of animals and babies and like tend to boost conversions when used in appropriate context. We know that images of money used in the right context can trigger certain things. So the brain is like a complex wonderland of associations. Um, and I'm not going to be the one to say like, none of that stuff's important. It's all only copy because I'd be wrong. The, the, the design, the way information is presented matters a great deal. Things like even the colors of call to actions and positioning of them can make a huge amount of difference on the visuals front. I have seen for myself, like the difference between a static image and a moving image where like a GIF, like some well-intentioned person is like, yeah, we'll have this animated thing of like the software in action on the side. Well, what happens is like our eyes are attracted to motion. I can't be reading your copy over here and like watching your thing over there. So you've actively diminished how much attention I can pay to either one mm. that might pay off. It might, it might not. So design matters a ton. Copywriters should know enough design to be dangerous. Um, it's a whole field. I, you know, I can't say you should be an expert designer because that would be a disrespect to that profession. People spend their whole lives and still feel like there's a lot to learn. It matters a huge amount. But what I can say confidently is that no amount of intelligent design will make a crappy offer perform better. Like if your copy is off or the offer doesn't resonate, you can make the button the size of the entire screen if you want to. You might see a boost in conversions by accidental clicks, but you're not actively helping people solve a problem better. You're not actively communicating information, you know, that that changes their their mind about a problem or, or persuades them. So it's a critical factor design, but I would say, you know, it's something where design and copy benefit each other. Yeah. But the best design on the planet with horrible copy is not going to do that well, or the best copy on the planet, even with horrible design, I think still has a fighting chance of doing very well for, for you. So the, the two are both critical. The two both have an important role to play color button size imagery. It all, it all plays a, a huge role, but 
if your offer is bad, not a whole lot of the design stuff's going to matter that much. Okay. So it still comes down to your offer. What do your contacts get and how is that presented? Now, as Joel mentioned, visuals, colors, images, they matter. So let's take a look at that. Different colors evoke different emotions. They make things stand out or they make things blend in. Up to 90% of snap judgments that people make can be based on color alone. Color creates an emotional response in the viewer. And you can see in this graphic from the logo company that different colors evoke different feelings. Now, this doesn't mean that color is everything, but it definitely does contribute. You can use multiple colors, but using every color in the rainbow is probably a good way to hurt someone's eyes. Like anything, there's a happy medium. The important takeaway here is your CTA. Again, you might have heard that a certain colored CTA button converts better than any other color. And in some cases, orange might be the color that works for you. But the rule of thumb is to make sure that your CTA stands out against the rest of the page. So let's look at an example. In this case study from Marketing Donut, they tested a green button versus a red button. The green button is consistent with the brand's colors, and the red is something completely new. The result? Red outperformed green by 21%. And the reason is contrast, not necessarily because the red button is red, but because the green button is green. It looks like it's supposed to be there. It blends in. It doesn't call any attention to itself. It's lost in the sea of the brand's primary color. So use color to draw attention to your one offer. Use color to correspond with the emotion that you're looking to create, right? If you want to create excitement and optimism, or maybe you want to highlight tension and seriousness of an issue, color can help you do that. Okay, now on to images. Joel mentioned how images can work, but also how they can ask your viewers to just do too much at the same time. So let's take a look. Take a look at these two images in a case study from Highrise. In this first A-B test, they tried the image on the left, which is the original page, with a long-form informational page. The results, 37 and a half more signups happened with the page on the right, the long-form page. Why? Well, visuals don't necessarily have to be images. Improving the visual hierarchy or the order in which your one reader gives attention to the page, that can result in a huge lift. The page on the left, it's, it's disjointed. It's all over the place. What do you look at first? Where's the uniformity in text size and images and in image size? There's arrows everywhere. There's icons, photos, text. There's so many things to click on. Yeah, visuals are a way for you to really highlight the rule of one, which the page on the left doesn't really help with. Now, a second A-B test took place as well with the original image on the left, and the one on the right focused on highlighting an actual person. The person page was much shorter. It contained less information about the company and the offering, but it resulted in 47% more paid signups than that long-form design, and a whopping 102.5% increase from the original page here on the left. Why? For several reasons. One being, your brain processes images approximately 60,000 times faster than it processes text, which means your brain picks up on the story being told in the visuals much faster than the story that you're writing with your words. Visuals are an incredible tool to convey your big idea, so use it to your advantage. The page on the left has images. It even highlights people further down the page, but it's indicative of a bigger issue. There's a lot of ideas in this image. What do you look at first? What's the story? What's the big idea? Now, the other page has one main image, one person, one big idea, much easier to process, much easier to focus. So adding visuals doesn't just mean, you know, more visuals is better. Far from it. 
Visuals are important. They can improve the success of your landing page, but only when they fit into the big idea of the page rather than introducing more ideas. Whew, okay. All of this can help improve the experience of your landing page, which means more conversions. More conversions means more leads. More leads ultimately means more customers. But Joel said earlier that landing pages are a moving target. You're, you're never gonna have that 100% conversion rate, right? Things can always be better. So what can you do to improve it as time goes on? Well, let's see what Joel has to say here. When you look at landing pages, you, you mentioned doing an audit a little earlier. What, what are the things that you sort of like look for first? Are there like quick fixes, 30 second fixes, anything that you sort of just look and you're like, oh, this is, a, this is something that we can change that makes a big impact? I mean, the obvious stuff is anytime there's a wall of text, like if you open up the page and it's like, holy crap, where did my eyes go? Yep. Easy, easy. Lack of focus. I mean, like not having one big argument or trying to kitchen sink the hero. Those are immediate wins that I look for. Um, you know, distracting visuals that we kind of talked about where it's like this visual contributes nothing to the decision process. So, you know, you might want to either change it or revisit it. Those are things that, that I'll often look for lack of proof, like a big claim without any proof. Uh, like if you say best X in the world, or, you know, what Phil X, whatever you are, you have nothing to support a claim like that. That's an obvious place for introducing some solid testimonials and proof. Uh, often highly convoluted pricing sections, uh, pricing sections without ideal for statements, like best for you if, like people want to know which, which plan, hey, if you suggest one to them, that can help. So I do a lot of looking at like the white space, the wall of copy syndrome, how tight is their argument? How differentiated is their argument from if I went to a totally different landing page, if I took their logo off the page, could I tell that this was just theirs? But you know, there, there, are, there are obvious things to look for and obvious heuristics. And that's part of what I look for when I do an audit. But the other critical thing is people want copywriting conversion to be paid by numbers. They, they really do. They want a like, if that, then this statement where it's like, you know, where, where they just color in the lines and fill in a template and they get something miraculous and brilliant. What it really comes down to, if you want to be better at copywriting, if you want better landing pages, if you want to convert better, Stop jumping straight to the template and straight to the visual and start with your customer. And what do they want? How do they talk about what they want? What questions do they have that you can answer for them? And, and what order do those questions matter? And again, I can't possibly care about the price point of something till I understand what it is. I can't really you know, care about why I should buy it before I know whether or not it's even for me. So, you know, I think, Ultimately, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is know your customer and then take the Lego blocks of all their pains, anxieties, outcomes, you know, the information and questions that they have and use that. And when your page is at least anchored in an understanding of the customer, you're going to have an infinitely easier time than just going through and being like, oh, our headline is 10 words instead of eight. Or, you know, oh, we should have used bullets here instead of check marks. Like the really nuanced stuff matters. And that's why you hire, why you hire a specialist when you're ready to like have someone who has time to agonize over like whether a check mark or a bullet point matters for you. But in general, I think the average Joe trying to do this is going to 10x their results by just starting away from the landing page builder and going and having some structured conversations. That's going to make the, the bigger difference for sure. Well, there it is. 
At the end of the day, it starts and it ends with the customer. Know thy customer and you'll be able to create and write a landing page that works for them. Uh, just a note here that if you'd like to listen to the entirety of my conversation with Joel, that will be available to members of the Grow team. So head on over to the Growth Decoded landing page, landing page, hey, and sign up. That's activecampaign.com slash events slash growth decoded. Uh, join the Grow team and you'll get access to that exclusive content as well as some other things, uh, maybe some branded goodies. Thanks for listening to Growth Decoded to Go. For the latest updates on Growth Decoded and links to the live show, you can sign up to be a part of the Grow team at activecampaign.com slash events slash growth hyphen decoded.